Good morning, everyone. This is a reading from Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as, as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And, uh, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, a multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each of them were hearing them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and astonished, saying, Are these not all who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes, and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocked and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. For this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I'll pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show my wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below. The sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, that great and magnificent day. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David said concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me. For he, for he is at my right hand, and I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of your life, paths of life. You will uh, make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set up one of his descendants on his throne, he saw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. 
For David did not ascend into heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter, uh, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord, has got, the Lord God has called to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they added to that day about 3,000 souls. Thank you, Reuben. Good morning, everyone. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that your word is so powerful and effective to speak to us. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are the teacher that enables us to understand the word. And this morning, we pray that you would speak to us. We also pray for Pastor Ian and all those present uh, in Carnforth, in the center, as uh, they have a special service. And Lord, I pray that you will use Pastor Ian to bring your message of good news to all who would be gathered there. We pray that you will speak to us and that you will draw us nearer to yourself. Amen. Amen. So it's amazing that today we have this uh, double uh, celebration. We are coming to the end of a weekend that has been very special for us as a nation. And also it's Pentecost Sunday, so it's, it's just so many blessings and so many occasions in, in this. Uh, we're, we're talking now very much uh, in, in the media of things going viral. And uh, I I guess if 10 years ago we would have talked about something going viral, it it would have been fairly um, non-interesting. Nowadays, uh, obviously after two years of a pandemic, everybody understands a lot about virusology and about viruses and how they spread and so forth. And everybody uh, is very aware of that, something that spreads contagiously. Uh, Also, it's amazing that... uh, the world in which we live in was uh, grasped by an incident that happened in a city in America with the killing of a black man who suddenly, again, the news became viral and it spread out and suddenly there were people all around the world protesting in, 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 in the light of what they've seen being spread through somebody with a mobile phone phoning an incident. Again, news going viral. Well, really what happens on the day of Pentecost, in a positive way, is that the church of Jesus Christ was birthed and became viral. From that moment on, as the Holy Spirit was being poured upon the disciples of Jesus, something happened that impacted the world ever since. In fact, probably me and you wouldn't be here this morning if it wasn't for that event at the day of Pentecost. And really, it was the birth of a missionary movement that spanned across centuries 
and ended up traveling all around the world to the ends of the earth. And even now as a church, we have a privilege of having people that we are connected, families that are friends of ours, that are part of us, who are part of that movement that was actually sparked on the day of Pentecost. But it's so easy to look at the passage that Reuben has read to us in Acts chapter 2 and think, well, what, what a nice event. What, what a great thing to happen. And it's almost like we're celebrating, if we're not careful, something that has happened and is dead and it's old. And only those who are fans of nostalgia can really connect with it. But the day of Pentecost is anything but that. Because God is continuing that work that was started at the day of Pentecost. And the idea of the day of Pentecost is it, 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 that it sparks this continuous overflow of having an encounter with God, the Holy Spirit, that actually creates this missional movement of people who are incredible agents of change through the power of the kingdom of God. Uh, Dr. Ian Paul said this, So the gift of the Holy Spirit is not a flash in the pan, but it's the coming of the new age, the first fruits of a new reality. And that's how we should be looking at the passage that we've just read in the book of Acts as something that sparked and started something that ought to be continued right here, right now, through us. This is why Pentecost is so important. How can it impact our lives? Well, just like the believers that, that, that Jesus uh, sent the Holy Spirit upon in Acts chapter 2, we have a promise. So we peel back the pages, just a chapter back in Acts chapter 1, and before Jesus ascends into heaven, he says these words, he appears to the disciples over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And then while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift that my father has promised, which you have heard from me that I spoke to you about. For John baptized with water, but in the days to come, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then he continues talking to them in verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The disciples had a promise, and so do we. Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, made it really clear that the mission hasn't stopped with him. The mission hasn't ended. And the moment Jesus ascends into heaven, we all go back to business and continue to live lives that we lived before. No. He speaks to those fishermen. He speaks to all those who are following him. And he's saying, no, the mission is continuing. What I've started is continuing. And you are part of that movement. It's not a full stop. It's a comma. And everything is carrying on. But the essential thing and I could have imagined the disciples would have said, how can you tell us that the mission is continuing? You are ascending into heaven. You are leaving us. How can we do this without you? And Jesus had already taught, and, and we find Jesus' teaching about the Holy Spirit in uh, John's Gospel in chapters 14 and 16. And Jesus promised them and spoke quite clearly that when he will depart, it is good news because he will send 
the one who will be their helper, their comforter, the one who will convict of sin, the one who will open up the scriptures to them. So this was something that Jesus had already talked about. And now he reiterates that promise and he says to them, if you're feeling insecure, thinking, how can we continue the mission? Let me tell you, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit will come in order to help you. Because the mission has to continue. And I love that because if I would have been one of the disciples, I would have said, well, that's reassuring. Because if somebody is coming, if you're sending somebody, if you're sending the Holy Spirit, and let's be frank, they didn't have a clue about the Holy Spirit, who he was going. They knew the theory, probably, those who remembered Jesus' words that are recounted in John 14 and 16. But did they really know what he was going to be like? No idea. Probably not. But the fact that Jesus says, I'm helping you and I'm sending you somebody to help is good enough. Imagine if you're, uh, if you, let's say you, you, you have a, a friend in the Philippines and you're supposed to go and visit them. And uh, just uh, 24 hours before you're supposed to set up, they're saying, I- I'm really sorry. I know you're coming for a couple of weeks, but I've got COVID and I need to um, self-isolate. So I'm not going to be able to take you around all the places, translate for you, do all the things that you do. You'd be thinking, oh, that's a bummer. That's rubbish. How am I going to be able to do that? But then they would say, but my best friend, they're prepared to do everything that I've wanted to do for you and with you. It's akin to that, what Jesus is saying to them. But there's something interesting there. So the encouragement is that Jesus says, I'm going to give you a promise, and the promise is about a person, and the person is God himself, the Holy Spirit, who will be with you, who will teach you, he will equip you. But there's a catch. You have to wait. Oh, how the disciples would have rejoiced when they heard that word. Wait. You mean, you're telling us that you're ascending into heaven and going away, and all we have to do is wait for it. Wait. You mean we can't do something? No, you wait. You mean there's nothing we can study? No, you wait. You mean we can start some sort of a missionary organization, um, have a round table and work out some strategic plan of evangelizing those who don't know you yet? No, wait. Absolutely essential that we grasp this. Why is it that Jesus gives them this incredible promise that has this clause as part of the promise? It's absolutely essential. Because frankly, anything that the disciples would have tried to do without the Holy Spirit would have failed. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no life. There is no ministry. There is no mission. There is nothing, just failure. In the Christian life. And Jesus is pressing hard right from the very beginning, from the birth of the church. He's pressing hard this truth. You cannot do life and ministry without the activity of the Holy Spirit. It's absolutely essential that you wait until he comes. Oh, but we've been with you, Jesus. Wait. Oh, but we've seen your miracles. Wait. Oh, but we've done miracles. Wait. Oh, but we've heard your teaching. Wait. It was absolutely paramount and essential 
for them to experience the Holy Spirit for themselves. And let me say this really clearly. In our lives, there have been many, many moments of waiting. And maybe you're in a moment of waiting right now. Let me say this. Really, really important to grasp. In the Christian journey, the in-between is as important as the destination. And in fact, most of the time, we will find ourselves in an in-between. And we can be childish about it, and we can just have eyes on the destination and miss the in-between. Most of the deep work that God is doing in my life and your life is in the between. And if we're not careful, and if our, if, if our sight is either on the past of where we set off from or the future where we want to be, we actually miss the deep work of God that God is doing right in the in-between. And they needed that in-between. The in-between for the disciples that received that promise was the formation of discipline and dependence upon God. And let me say this again, the church would not have been birthed if there wasn't for that group of people who learned to lay down their lives, lay down their agendas, lay down their wisdom, lay down everything, and depend totally and utterly in obedience upon God. A believer who doesn't understand that will actually stay in the in-between forever. A believer who doesn't understand that, that lesson of obedience and dependency will never be able to break through. So many of the Israelites in the desert were stuck in the in-between, not wanting to learn the lesson of dependence and obedience, and they never got through. And the only reason the church exploded into birth, it was because those believers listened to the words of Jesus and said, we're going to do that. We're going to wait. As much as we hate it, we're going to wait because we need him. We need him to do what only he can do in us and through us. And the fact that they had a promise was a strong encouragement. And I, I want to say to us this morning, we are in the same boat. We have a promise as well. The same thing, the same promise, the same words that Jesus has said to the disciples are the words that he lives for us as well. There is that call to mission, that call to live for him, but only empowered by the Holy Spirit who is available to us as much as it's available to them. And to me, that's great encouragement. Some of you maybe were uh, foolish enough like me to try to live the Christian life without him, without waiting to receive him. And it leads to failure. And to me, it's so encouraging to know that we have a promise that we can stand upon and a God who provides everything that we need in order to be effective for him. And the disciples listened to that and took it to heart and said, we have a promise. But also what God gave them at the day of Pentecost was a provision. And you can see peppered all throughout the passage that uh, Reuben read to us. It's really important to notice what is happening here. First of all, it starts with an internal experience. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 
there was something that happens to them. You, you cannot deny that there is an event that is supernatural that had happened to them. And although tongues have been appearing in some of the other situations throughout the book of Acts, really the whole episode doesn't get repeated. And there's a reason for that, because God is not into copycats. And we need to listen to that, and we need to get this. We limit God when we try to pick up something that he had done somewhere in the past and think, it has to be like this. And God has a knack of refusing to be boxed. And, 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 and we can do it in our own lives. And, and we can have experience through which God has blessed us. How many of us have been blessed at a Christian camp? And we make it the, 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 the box that God has to get in, that at camp is where God changes your life. Other people have been changed by an evangelist. And they would, they would put God in a box and say, no, God only works through an evangelist. This is the way it happens. Somebody might have got saved through open air, you know, somebody using a, one of those boards, you know, and, and a talk. And they say, that's the only way God works. And for the next 40 years of their life, they only dedicate themselves to, you know, doing open air because that's the only way God saves. And God continues to refuse to be put in a box. Look at the people that he saved even in the book of Acts. They're all individuals and individual stories, different ways. I mean, how many of us have been saved like the Apostle Paul? Anybody else, you know, was on a road to going to somewhere, you know, being fairly anti-Christian. And suddenly you get struck, see a light, hear a voice, Jesus speaking to you, and you go blind. How many? Hands up. Not many. How many of you were saved like the Ethiopian eunuch? You're there on a business trip, riding in the private jet, probably. You know, and you're reading being a little bit devout and a little bit interested in some portion of scripture, Isaiah, and then some dude appears from nowhere, you know, and he tells you, do you understand what you're reading? And you say, no, and then he explains to you, and then the jet stops, and there's a stream, and he talks about baptism, he says, there's water, let's get baptized. How many of you have experienced it like that? That's what I'm saying. God is not put in a box. But the one important thing that is in all of those situations, including Pentecost, is that something has to happen to you. It may look different to all of us. For some people, it might be something incredibly extravagant and very sort of extroverted. For some people, it might be something inward uh, of an experience. For some people, it's something you can describe very clearly. For other people, it's almost undescribable. But you know that you know that you know that something's happened to you. And that's the important thing, is that part of this provision is an internal experience. So the disciples knew, without a shadow of a doubt, that God was at work amongst them. There was something supernatural happening. I mean, you know, did they understand what the heck was going on with all those signs? Probably not, but just overwhelmed with a sense of God is at work. Something is happening to us personally. And that's a really important thing. All the believers that I have seen last the race, they all had a sense of something happened to me at some point in my life where God broke through. And those disciples gathered there. 
would have been able to say to us, we weren't expecting it. We gathered to pray. We were expecting this Holy Spirit. We weren't expecting, you know, tongues of fire. And, and by the way, this is quite scary stuff. You know, we sentimentalize it. We read it now and we go, yeah, yeah, cool. It's all right. This would have been frightening. But frightening in a good way. And I, th- I sense it was God's signature of wanting to say, I'm powerful. You may be frightened because you're a handful of people up there in a room. You may be frightened because your Savior that was amazing and powerful has gone. But I want to tell you right here, right now, you've nothing to be afraid. Because he's not left you. And he's powerful. And they understood that in their own hearts. And that personal experience of the Holy Spirit coming upon them, shaped their lives forever. Think of Moses at the burning bush. (laughs) You know, Moses was chosen by God and prepared by God to rescue his people. And he tried to DIY it. He tried to do it in his own strength. And he killed the man. And it takes God taking him into the in-between era for 40 years into the desert to break him up. And to teach him dependence and obedience. We're coming back to the same thing. Dependence and obedience. It's all about God. It's all through God. It's all for God. Nothing of me. But then he has this encounter with a God. I mean, it's hard to describe. And Moses, who wrote the description of it, finds it difficult. I mean, you, you and I know those kind of spiritual experiences, they're difficult to put into words. That's why even Dr. Luke, when he's talking about tongues of fire and, and the sound of the violin, he says it's like the best way he could describe what was described to him. He's trying to give us an illustration of it. And Moses experienced God. God speaks to him from a burning bush. And he's in the presence of a holy God that he can't even see. But he knows. And I think it shaped Moses' life forever, that encounter with God. When he stood in front of Pharaoh, he didn't have a reason to be fearful and scared. Why? Because he stood in the presence of the living God, the Almighty. When the people were dissing him, and, and, and causing him no end of headache and heartache. He kept on going. Why? Because he met with God. It made all the difference. And he was changed forever. Isaiah has this encounter with God, this vision of God. And Isaiah ends up being the prophet that is sent on a mission to fail. We don't, we don't get this. We, we, we read that and we say, what a, what a cool... You know, what a cool encounter with God. And I think he needed it because he ended up being martyred, dying for being faithful to God. Sometimes I talk to friends who go on the mission field or who got called into the ministry. And one of the things that I have observed, and, and, and this is just my take, you know, take it or leave it, it's not scripture. But what I've found that those who got some very powerful encounters with God and powerful words from God before they set off, faced some incredible hardships along the way. Because they needed to have that very powerful encounter with God to sustain them in periods of great adversity. But that's what shaped them. 
And that's what happened to the disciples. They have this internal experience that they, they know God is here. And what does God reveal about himself? God is saying, I'm faithful. The promise Jesus made, it's coming true. You can rely on me. God is saying, I'm powerful. You don't need to be afraid. The, 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 the powerful manifestation was a reassurance of God's might and God's power. As Peter stands up and begins to preach about Jesus and invites people to follow Jesus. People respond. God is saying, I am able to save. I am able to turn rebellious people who turned their back to me. Some of them may even have been amongst those who shouted, crucify him. And yet now they respond to the gospel, even after I'm gone. God is empowering them. Think about the setup that is there. Everything is absolutely perfect. It's a perfect day and a perfect place. I mean, this could have happened in an isolated place where nobody would have heard uh, uh, and, and seen the manifestation. And it would have been no, not, nothing interesting. But it, it, it says here, after the, the manifestations were there, it says, Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation and and. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each of them heard them in their own language being spoken and utterly amazed. Bewilderment. Amazed. God set it all up. The place. The time. Everything was set up in order to create this interest. And again, God enables Peter. I mean, it's Peter. Hello. It's Peter. He said it again. It's a fisherman who's been hanging out with Jesus. What were his credentials to stand before thousands of people, not just Jewish people local, but people that were God-fearing, that were coming for the feast? I mean, what studies did he do? How did he, re- did, did he do his market research? How did he know his audience? Who prepared him to preach? It's crazy. It's God. God enables him to be able to stand. It's Peter. Let me say it again. It's Peter. You remember Peter? Denied Jesus. Even after being warned. Not once. Not twice. Three times. It's Peter. Yet he's standing there before that crowd. Why? Because God grabbed hold of his life. And empowered him. To be able, and then people respond to, to, to the gospel as Peter is addressing them. Look at verses 37 to 41 as, as he's bringing the message to them. There is something that is beginning to happen. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's the euphemistic word that Luke is using for conviction. It's the thing that we pray for friends and family who have heard messages, who have given tracts, who have read the Bible, and nothing's happening. This is happening. They're cut to the heart. There's a sense of being convicted. And it's not just an emotional response that is fleeting. Again, we've, we've, we've had friends of ours who've come to events, who've come to church, they've put their hand up in a meeting, they pray the sinner's prayer, and we've never seen them since. No, this is something profound and deep. And they themselves are asking the question after they hear Peter's preaching of the gospel, what must we do? 
I mean, how many times does an evangelist or a preacher get people come up to him or her and say, what must I do? So rarely. Yet this is the convicting work of God, the Holy Spirit, enabling Peter and speaking to those listeners' hearts and making that connection between the anointed preaching and the responsive heart, and something happens. And as a result of it, those people do the most radical thing you could ever do. Publicly, they get baptized in the name of Jesus in front of everybody else. That's not just fleeting emotionalism. This is a deep work that the Holy Spirit is doing in those people's hearts. Because God provides. God provides a setting. God provides a speaker. God provides the anointing. God provides the response. God does everything. And people respond. So where does that leave us this morning? We look at the promise that the disciples received and we we get it, that we are part of the same promise just as much as they were promised the Holy Spirit to come upon them and make them witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. This is ours too. They were incredibly empowered through God's provision. And the same thing that was given to those disciples then and there is given to us right here, right now. You might say, how do you know? Because the same Holy Spirit that they received is the Holy Spirit that me and you receive. I was saying right at the very beginning that Pentecost is about overflow. At Pentecost, in some figurative way, it's almost as if God turned the tap on. Pentecost is about an overflow. It is about something that happens when we encounter and experience and live with the Holy Spirit that begins to spill out in the life of those around us in society. Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit and and, and presented him. And and I want to throw two questions at us. And, And the first one is really simply this. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Do you have the Holy Spirit? In order to have the Holy Spirit, really you need to have a relationship with Jesus because Jesus is the one that gives the Holy Spirit. And if you're not a Christian, and by being a Christian, let me explain this again, as I keep trying to do every time I speak. Being a Christian isn't about coming to church. It isn't about being christened. Uh, it isn't about carrying a, 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 a big Bible with you. Being a Christian is about having a moment in your life when you realize you're sinful and you couldn't save yourself and you needed help. And you recognize that help was provided through Jesus. And when Jesus died on the cross, he died to pay the price for for your sin and for my sin and everybody else's sin. And being a Christian is acknowledging that and taking on Jesus' offer of salvation to come and cleanse you from your sins. So you welcome Jesus as your Savior, but that's only half of the deal. And sometimes people don't tell you about the second half of the deal. 
the moment you're asking Jesus to be your savior, you're also asking him to be your king. So from that moment, you, be, you, you, you die to self and to the kingdom of I. And you let Jesus become your king or your Lord, if you want to use church language. You submit, you bow the knee, you live your life under his authority. What he says, you do. Is that back to that obedience and dependence. And if you haven't had that moment in your life, I, I, I need to be honest with you, you can't have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's impossible. You need to have a relationship with Jesus. But the good news that I have for you is if you surrender your life to Jesus and ask Jesus to come and be your savior and your king, part of the package, you receive the Holy Spirit. Because that moment when you surrender your life to Jesus, he pours out and the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit comes into your life. What? To do what? To, to, to bring reassurance of salvation because there's going to be days when you're going to feel, man, did Jesus really forgive my sins? And the Holy Spirit says, yes, he did. There are moments when you kind of doubt yourself and think, oh, yeah, I'm such a lousy Christian. That's the moment when the Holy Spirit reassures you and brings you that sense of certainty. Because he's a deposit. He's a seal. The moment when you think, I can't live the Christian life because I'm a gossiper. You know, the Holy Spirit comes and says, I've got some good news for you. I grow some fruit in you. You know, and one of those fruits is (laughs) self-control. And the Holy Spirit comes and he brings his fruit and that shapes our character. When we feel like we can't tell other people about Jesus, the Holy Spirit will come and say, I'll do it for you. Just like I did it with Peter, I can do it through you. So the moment you receive Jesus as your Savior and as your King, you also receive the Holy Spirit. But you can't have the Holy Spirit without having Jesus. And therefore, when I'm asking the question, do you have the Holy Spirit, I'm asking of those that are here this morning who've never had an opportunity to surrender their life to Jesus. And what I want to say this morning, in order to get that, you also need, first and foremost, to surrender to Jesus. And there's going to be an opportunity uh, in a moment to do that. Because I want you to have both. I don't want you to miss out on this incredible offer. The second question is this. Does the Holy Spirit have all of you? So if you are a Christian, if you're somebody who surrendered your life to Jesus as your Savior and as your King, and, and you have a living relationship with Jesus... There is no question if you have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. I just explained to you. You can't do anything without the Holy Spirit as a follower of Jesus. You need him. But there is another question in this. Does the Holy Spirit have all of you? Look at the next picture as I'm trying to illustrate this. Your life and my life is like a house. Okay? And your life, might, your life or house may look like this or it may look very different. I've just choosing a picture that will help explain the concept. And what usually happens with the Holy Spirit, when the Holy Spirit comes into our life, he wants to have access to all the rooms in the house, even the cupboards, even the cellar, even the loft, everywhere, figuratively speaking. And our lifelong battle as Christians is to let him come in everywhere. I, I always uh, found it really interesting. I was talking to somebody actually this week about this. Romanians have a funny thing, and uh, apparently there's other nations that, that are a little bit the same. Uh, certainly, I was talking to some Irish friends, 
Uh, Romanians have a front room that is absolutely immaculate and impeccable, that never gets lived in. You know, and it has all that, you know, crockery and cutlery you got when you got married. That's all fancy and posh, you know, that you're supposed to use and you never do because it's for special days. You know, and everything is absolutely impeccable. So that when the guests come in, that's the room you take them in to make them think that your whole house is the same. Now, dependent on how obsessively compulsive the owner of the house and tidy and all that kind of stuff is, you know, some of the other rooms may look a little bit similar or would look like an absolute, you know, bombsite compared to that. And sometimes what we do with our Christian life, we tend to let the Holy Spirit come in in the front room and we go, yeah, uh, Holy Spirit, I'll let you in when I go to church on Sunday morning. And I'll let you in when I go to the Connect group on Thursday night. I'll let you in on Wednesday night at the worship practice. But don't you tell me how I should live my life in my family. Don't you tell me how I should raise up my kids. Don't you tell me how I should be on the football field when I'm playing on a Tuesday night at Classics. Don't you tell me about how I need to spend my money. Don't you tell me what I need to watch on TV or can watch on TV. Just stay in the lounge. Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Thursday night, maybe prayer meeting on Saturday morning. But the rest is all mine. That's what we do. That's the game we play. And the big question is therefore... How much does the Holy Spirit have of you? Does he have access to all the rooms in your house? Is there any area in my life and your life where I go, yeah, no, 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 I'd I'd rather you don't go there. You've got wrong relationships and wrong partnerships, but, you know, they're good and they give you money. And God, the Holy Spirit says, I really want to get into your business because I don't like what you're doing. Yeah, no, 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 stay in the lounge. Sunday morning, Wednesday night, Thursday night. Yeah, that's okay. And what I sense the Holy Spirit is saying, because the Apostle Paul, the, the words that he, use, he uses is be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It, it's a sense in which the Holy Spirit always wants to get access of the whole house, not just parts of my life. And that's the question for some of us this morning. For some is, do you have the Holy Spirit? And for others is, does the Holy Spirit have all of you? Those are the two questions. And as we answer them, I, I, I want us, I'm going to get Heather to come back with the band. And I'm going to invite us to respond physically this morning. And it, it, it's, uh, if we put the, the, the next picture up, you know, we could finish, we could finish now at this, right? And uh, again, using the imagery of somebody who would love to sail. Now, I don't know how many of you have sailed. How many, how many people have sailed here? Quite a few people. Yeah, for those, for those of you who have sailed, you just know it's an exhilarating experience. It's absolutely sensational. But let's imagine that this morning we're all fans of sailing, right? And we all would love to sail, those who've sailed before and those who haven't. And it's so easy to hear a message like this, to read the scriptures, to hear what God is saying to us and say, yeah, that's really nice. I've looked at the manual. It's nice, and I'm just going to close it. And I'm going to dream about sailing. How great. But I think we need to act. And, you know, you can put a picture of sailing 
in your office or in your bedroom thinking, ah, it's going to be great. And for us this morning, I'll tell you what the picture is for me. The picture is Peter standing and preaching and seeing people come to Christ. And we can say, yeah, it'd be really nice. Wouldn't it be nice at CFM loads of people becoming Christians? Let me push it even harder. Wouldn't it be nice at CFM for people to become Christians, not to Pastor Ian, not through Pastor Christie, not through Graham Stanford, not through Gemma, but through you? Why not? Oh, yeah, but you don't know me. I'm an introvert. I'm shy. I'm not good at explaining the Trinity. Neither was Peter. Whatever God did through Peter, he can do through you and me. And you can put that picture up with sailing and thinking, ah, it'd be really nice. It'd be really nice. You can even go out and look at the boat and think, ah, oh, that's a nice boat. That must be nice to be on the waves sailing. Or you can do something this morning. And this morning is just part of the journey. It's about an encounter and the opportunity for an encounter with God. And obviously you need to put legs on that later on and God will reveal to you what you need to do. But this is what I sense God wants us to do. And it's very specific in two areas as I've been praying that I think be really important. And as a team are going to lead us on, I'm going to ask you to come forward. There's no, nobody's forcing you to come forward. No, nothing, you, you know, nothing. <laughs> nobody's looking at you thinking, oh, you're still sat in your seat. Oh, you know, what a big hypocrite. You should be going forward. Listen, put those, put those stupid thoughts to rest. There's no pressure. There's no manipulation. This is just simply being in the freedom of what God wants to do in my life. And frankly, from now, it just kind of moves to me. And God, you and God, don't worry about other people in here. They're just incidental that they're here. But there's two things that I want us to do as we respond to God physically. One, if you're in the category of those who probably would identify with kind of um, not being really good <laughs> at obedience and dependence, you know, in, in, in that category of maybe having rooms in your, in, in, in your house that you're saying, I don't really want you to get there because it's not comfortable. I just want you to do something really bold because I think God will really break through in your life in a special way. And I want you to come and I want you to kneel at the front. If that's you. Or maybe there are those in whom God is stirring a real desire to share the gospel with other people. And as I said to you, you can be like Peter. There's even something that happened in your heart that God said, that's you, that's you, that's you. And you may be a little embarrassed or ashamed to admit it. You know, but I want to say, I want you to come and I want you to stand with your hands open wide as to receive that anointing for sharing the good news with other people. As I said to you, it's not about on the stadium. It might be with your friends and neighbors. It might be with your work colleagues. It might be even with your family. 
but you're just sensing there's a quickening that God wants to give you what he gave to Peter. So there's no excuses. Whatever he got, you and I can get. I want to encourage you to come forward and just put your hands, stand up, and just let God speak to you and encourage you. And the rest of us, we can stand and sing and respond through that way. We really want to make available an opportunity for those who want to respond physically. So let's all stand up together. I'm going to pray, and then Heather and the band are going to lead us. God, we thank you so, so much that, Jesus, you make us part of your mission. You make us part of your kingdom work here on earth. We thank you that we're not in retirement here. We thank you that we're not just uh, with our lives pressed on pause until we get to see you or we get taken to heaven. But you are wanting to do a deep work in us and through us. And you want to use us as agents of your kingdom. And God, we realize that we don't want to live a secondhand life. We don't want to live a mediocre, apathetic life, but we want to live the fullness of life that Jesus came to bring for us. And therefore, this morning, we want to respond as it is appropriate for every single one of us in our own individual lives. And Lord, I pray for humility. I pray for boldness. I pray for freedom for people to come and respond. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill us all afresh. None of us is here saying, I have enough of you. We want to surrender control of our lives and we want you to come and reign and rule and live through us in every aspect of our lives. Let's respond to him. Amen.